Welcome to the Herald Podcast, New Generation, a podcast created for those who desire a new way of gaining information rather than reading a traditional newspaper. In our show, we will discuss everything from sports, pop culture, politics, and local news. To stay up to date on our latest episodes, be sure to subscribe, and you can also check us out weekly on all major streaming platforms. And don't worry, we keep it short. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of New Generation. I'm your host, Tanner Mondock, and I'm here with our other host, Janae Avery. Janae, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. We're excited for our fourth episode of the season. So thank you guys for listening in with us every week. We definitely appreciate it. It's crazy. Time's flying by these last four weeks. But it's been a great time doing this. We have another great episode coming up here with some local news. We'll touch on some national news. And uh, Janae, we also have a guest coming up later too, right? Yes, so we do have a guest for this week. Our guest is Pastor Tiffany Holden. Um, For you guys who may not know who she is, she is a well-known person in the community. She has been a pastor for many years, and she's also been a basketball coach for Feral Girls basketball team. So I had the opportunity of being one of her players. So she is going to be on the show this week and she's going to talk a little bit about her perspective of the Chauvin trial and how she along with other people in the area feel about the verdict. All right well yeah we're looking forward to talking to her and uh, let's jump right into the news. Back on Monday we had a story from Mike Rocknick and this deals with gun sales and some new regulations placed on guns by uh, President Joe Biden. So after a rash of high profile mass shootings, including one last Thursday at an Indianapolis FedEx warehouse that killed eight people and another, or last Sunday in Austin, Texas, firearm possession is coming under scrutiny and firearms themselves are again in high demand. So President Biden has responded by directing the Department of Justice to write regulations to reduce the supply of ghost guns, which are weapons created from parts bought online or kits. A gun requiring assembly isn't considered a finished product. As a result, it doesn't have serial numbers, which allowing the gun to be traced. Biden said he wants kits and parts used to make guns to be treated as firearms with serial numbers. And in terms of the gun sales, and so whether those are driven by concerns over a possible federal government crackdown on weapons or concerns over national unrest, one thing is certain is that sales of guns and ammunition, possibly fueled by uh, the COVID-19 stimulus checks, are rising and prices along with it. So Americans bought more than 2 million new guns in March, which is the second highest month on record for firearm sales. Another interesting story coming from Michael Rocknick. This week, a Hubbard Township home was broken into, and when police arrived on the scene, they did take a man into custody. However, not only did they find the man who attempted to break into the home, they also found explosive devices outside of the home, which gave them the motivation to actually look inside. After entering the home, they found over 100 explosive devices. As of right now, this story is still developing. There is another woman who is suspected as an accomplice to the man. However, her identity has not been released just yet. If nothing else develops within the next week or so, police chief Greg Tarr will identify the woman in order to get the community's help to find the other suspect. All right, yeah, it's pretty crazy to think that there's just over 100 incendiary devices just sitting in a home 
right across the border over there in Hubbard. So our next story here, this was in Thursday's paper. The American Rescue Plan COVID-19 Relief Act passed earlier this year includes a provision to help people pay for funeral and burial costs for family members who died of COVID-19. So under this relief law passed in March, the federal government will pay up to $9,000 of the cost per funeral with a $35,500 maximum per application for multiple funeral costs. And so this covers anyone with a cause of death or likely cause of death as COVID-19 after January 20th, 2020. And FEMA is uh, overseeing this program. As you guys know, last year Memorial's Day was one that was completely different because of COVID all Memorial Day activities were canceled. In fact, the Mercer Memorial Day 500 was canceled last year, and that was the first time since 2003. However, in this year, there is great news that the Memorial Day 500 will take place. The Mercer Memorial Day 500 will not be as big as it has been in previous years. However, community organizers are excited to even have it take place this Memorial Day, considering that they had to cancel everything last year. So shifting over to national news here, on Tuesday, the trial of former Minneapolis officer Derek Chauvin came to an end when he was convicted of the murder of George Floyd after the jury came back with its verdict after about 10 hours of deliberations over two days. He was found guilty on all charges, which were second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. And Chauvin, who's 45, could be sent to prison for decades. After the verdict came in, uh, people were elated by the verdict, flooding the surrounding streets downtown in Minneapolis upon hearing the news. The cars blared their horns, and people ran through traffic, waving banners. And George Floyd's family members gathered at a Minneapolis conference room could be heard cheering from the next room as each verdict was read. And after that verdict was read, we had some Herald reporters kind of go out in the community and gauge what people in the area were thinking about the trial. Based on the feedback that our reporters received, the general census was that most people were in agreement with the outcome of the trial. In a sense, they believe that is a defining moment in American history that will set a precedent for how future trials will take place that involve law enforcement and people of color. To cite one of our sources from the actual article written by Michael Rocknick, former mayor Olive McKeithen stated, I'm glad they found him guilty for the peace of this nation. And someone else that our reporters talked to was Dr. Aaron Houston, president and CEO of the Shenango Valley Urban League, said that the jury's decision to hold Chauvin accountable after other police officers had been acquitted or not even charged for actions resulting in the deaths of, of black Americans marked a watershed moment for the United States. She said, I think it's a defining moment for the justice system. I think it's a good moment for the justice system on cases involving the police and African Americans. And so those were just two quotes that we pulled. But like we said earlier, the general consensus from everyone else that we talked to in the community, they pretty much were all in agreement that the jury got it right in this case. And so that'll do it for the national news at this time. But stick around because we have our interview with Pastor Tiffany Holden coming up next. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Hello. Good morning to you both. But yeah. just to get the interview established, we know that you are well known in the community and you do a lot of community outreach. You're also a pastor of a church located in Sharon. Um, so can yeah. you just touch upon the different things that you do in the community as well? Um, absolutely. 
Um, well, you already know my name is Pastor Tiffany Holden, and I am the pastor of Redeemed Sanctuary, a church that God blessed me and found over five years ago, and that's in Sharon, Pennsylvania. I am also on the Farrell Area School Board. I'm a, I work there as a school district advisor. I've been on there for four years, and I've been working in the community for years now. Um, I've done the prayer chain in the community. I've done several different things. If you want to go back years and years ago, I used to do a street fair in our community for the Greater Morris Chapel Church, bringing the community together. So there's a lot of community work that I do. That's exactly why we wanted you on the podcast, just to get your perspective of the different things that are going on as far as injustice and the criminal justice system as of right now. Obviously, um, you probably have been following along as far as the trial with Derek Chauvin. And we just want to kind of get your take on the verdict. Well, I think it's more of accountability than justice. I'm not going to so much say that it's justice yet, because it's something that should have been served a long time ago as, as far as with the African-American people. I think now we've moved more to the stage of accountability, starting to hold individuals accountable, whether they are police officer or not, for the actions that they are taking against African-American people. Um, we have been deprived so much just of freedom. And we're still in 2020. And now that freedom has st- is still being deprived, but it's being deprived with a different face. So... Uh, my reaction on that was, yes, I was glad, but there's still more work to do. So there's still more work to do. And so what does that work look like? Like, in your opinion, where do we go from here? Well, the work looks like starting in our local community. You know, we can scream, we can shout as much as we want on a national level. But we have to first start looking at our individual communities, whether we're small or large. And we have to see in our individual community, what disparities are we facing as a race um, here in your local communities? What systemic racism is going on in our own communities that have not been brought to the forefront? You know, how are our people being treated in our own community? So now, if they're going to hold individuals accountable on a national level, let's start holding those individuals accountable on a local level in our own communities. Because what good is it for us to go out and fight nationally, but yet we're suffering at home? Absolutely. And you touched a little bit of on that, just that community aspect. And is there an example that you can give where you've seen a person in the community experience racial profiling or maybe wasn't treat it as fairly as you thought they should from a police officer in this area? You don't necessarily have to name names, but is there an example that you can provide? I definitely don't want to get into name calling. Um, definitely don't want to identify any officers or anything of that nature. I don't want to, I want anyone to think that is a certain location. Let's just talk about the Valley. Uh, we have seen where a lot of our African-American men are stopped by police simply because of a turn signal, but that turn signal violation stop turns into now I have to search your car. Now I have to search you. It leads down to heavier charges when it should be just a traffic stop. Now we're facing something a little bit more difficult than that. So sometimes it's just a little traffic stop that leads to young African-American men being put in jail and in jail for months because something that should not have happened. You know, so I'm going to say on that level, we've seen that numerous times. So it might not be as blatant as other places, but it's here. Mm-hmm. And so I want to get back to the, the Chauvin trial a little bit. At the same time that that verdict was being read, 
just not too far away from here over in Columbus, Ohio, there was the incident where the 16-year-old girl was was shot and killed. And so where are you kind of at with that situation? Just because, you know, that did happen at the same time as the Derek Chauvin verdict came in. I, where I'm at is this. I know that they say police officers are trained to save lives. But why is it every time you see someone of darker color that you immediately pull out a gun and not a taser? Why is it immediately when you see someone darker color, it's to kill and not to save? So that's my, that's where I'm at. You know, anyone can say it's you're up in the air, but at the same time, when does, when do an officer arrive at a scene with people of darker color and your first instinct is to not kill them? You know, you're always first, let's kill, kill. Can you deescalate the situation? Can you Analyze the environment to see what you're dealing with. Why does it always have to be the first response is a gun to kill? In the trial, one of the the key things that they constantly use as evidence was the video of Chauvin actually kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Can I ask you, have you seen that video? And just being a mother of a Black man, how did you feel about seeing that video? It's disturbing. It's disturbing because, first of all, they tried to use the excuse that the more the people yelled out negative to Chauvin, that that's when it made him put more pressure. First of all, there's always been pressures on the necks of African-Americans in this country, period. So they always put pressure on our necks. So there was nothing that no one could say to him that verbally that should have caused him to put his knee on someone's neck and choke him out when they're crying for help and screaming for their mother. It's very disturbing because what it showed is that Chauvin does not have a heart and that his purpose and his intent was to literally take the life out of this man. Because if someone is telling you you're killing him, you're killing him, something should have clicked in and said, you know what, I'm going to let up. But he didn't let up because you know why? That's society. They never let up off of African-Americans, whether you're a woman or a man, they never let up off of us. So him putting his neck is what we physically saw him take the life out of out of people. But actually, it's what America's been doing to black people for years is putting their knee on our neck and taking the life out of us so that we cannot succeed, so that we'll always feel like we're beneath other races. Um, we all know that Martin Luther King said he had a dream. And you know what? What happened to the dream? His dream was for the whites and blacks may walk, children may walk down the street holding hands. And I know people may say, oh, that's just a dream. No, it should be reality that, you know what? It's a disgrace that we have fought this long and people have died for our rights for America to try to push it back. We're not the land of the free and the home of the brave. We're not that until we take care of the people that lives in America, regardless of what race, and regardless of what color. So I will continue to try to stand. I will continue to try to use my platform to be a voice, to speak for equality, to speak for love, to speak for peace, regardless of what race you are. We are all, we're supposed to be one nation under God. Well, you know what? We need to get back to God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We definitely appreciate you being Mm -hmm. a guest on our show. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely.
That wraps up our episode for this week. We appreciate Pastor Tiffany Holding coming on to the show as our special guest. Yeah, so we hope you enjoyed that discussion with her and uh, we're looking forward to talking to you guys again next week.